0: What's up everyone? Welcome back to the CEO Journals Podcast. For those of you that are new here, thank you for joining. I am your host, Ethan Bridge. Before I dive into the intro, I'd greatly appreciate if you pulled out your phone, opened up the podcast app, and left a five-star rating and review. It literally takes a matter of seconds and you don't even have to stop listening. On today's episode of the podcast, I had the pleasure of speaking to Bob Burke. It's generally agreed upon that entrepreneurship is the engine that drives an economy upwards and is primarily responsible for its growth. Entrepreneurs create jobs, bring better and more affordable products and services to the marketplace, resulting in greater social health, overall wealth and a vastly improved standard of living. And while we treasure the entrepreneur, one needs not start their own business in order to be one. One can be entrepreneurial within a company setting and can lead from anywhere they happen to be positioned. Bob is the co-author of the international bestseller The Go-Giver and a much sought after speaker at sales and leadership conferences, sharing the platform with everyone from today's business leaders and broadcast personalities to even former US presidents. He shows that companies both large and small that conduct their business, the Go Giveaway are not only of much greater value to their customers. They are also significantly more functional and profitable as well. The Go Giver has sold over 925,000 copies and it has been translated into 28 languages. But through all of his books, Bob has sold well over 1 million copies in total. Bob is an advocate, supporter, and defender of the free enterprise system, believing that the amount of money one makes is directly proportional to how many people they serve. This conversation is full of value, so without any further ado, let's dive straight into today's episode. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to CEO Journals. I am super happy today because I've got an incredible guest on the show, Bob Berg. Bob, how are you doing on this lovely day today? Doing fantastic, Ethan. Great to be with you. The pleasure is all mine. I can't thank you enough for joining me. So for the the listeners that don't know who you are, do you want to just give us a quick 60-second introduction of who you are and what you do, please?
1: Well, really just a a long-time sales professional who uh, took that and went into speaking, and uh, so I speak at at conferences and conventions and write books and do all sorts of fun things like that.
0: Awesome. Short and sweet, but that's how we like it. Not (laughs) Not too much information means I can delve in as we go. So before we actually delve into what you actually do, the way I like to start all my episodes is to throw it back with my guests, so we can sort of get a bit of an origin story of where you came from. So I like to ask my guests about their time at school and focus on a specific younger age. So let's focus on the 14-year-old version of yourself. How were you at those mid-teen, early teenage years? How were you at school? Did you find it easy? Were you the class clown? Did you sit at the back? Were you popular? How were you at the age of 14?
1: Um, I'd say I was just getting to the point where I was sort of getting bored with school. Um, it had come easier for me, you know, with all the basic stuff when I was younger, but it was, it was now I had to work a little bit at it and I, I didn't really like it. Uh, I didn't see the point of it and that kind of stayed with me throughout high school and even throughout college. But, um, class clown. No, I wasn't the class clown. I w- wouldn't say, but I you know, if there was a a, a laugh line that came up, I, I I guess I was kind of there with it every so often. Uh, but uh, you know, I think it was more that I I just had a a major disinterest in what was happening, which of course, I regret now because I realized that school is not about you know, the facts and figures that you learn. it's learning how to learn and appreciating being able to learn, which of course at that age, you know, totally was not something I, I,
0: you know, uh believed in. So despite not believing in it, you still completed it and went to college because a lot of... I,
1: well, I'll tell you, Ethan, it's a great question because on my last day of high school, well, not last day of high school, but at the graduation, the guidance counselor uh saw me walking off afterwards and he said, Berg, I can't believe you actually made it here today because uh, I barely, barely graduated. And then I, I took a couple of years off after high school before going to, to college. And um, I remember I, I got in on academic probation and I'm pretty sure I graduated on academic probation. So <laughs> no, school was not my my thing, formal, formal school.
0: So were you always sort of entrepreneurial business orientated at that young age. Is that why you sort of weren't interested in the education system at the time? Did you have other ideas on your mind knowing that you were going to work for yourself eventually and not go down the route of formal education and being in a full-time corporate job your whole life sort of route or what was your sort of mindset at the time? Well, I was anxious to, to, to get out there into the real world. Uh, I
1: don't know that I necessarily, knew at that time that i would be an entrepreneur or not uh i just knew that that i wanted to be doing something and that school
0: just really seemed like a waste of time to me
1: so where did yeah
0: yeah so where did it kick off then did you start working for a corporate company or did you just sort of from the get-go always been self-employed entrepreneur
1: uh, no, I began as a broadcaster, actually, first in radio doing sports, and then as a, a television news anchor no. for a small ABC affiliate in the uh, midwestern United States. Uh, I wasn't particularly good at it, and it, it wasn't long before I found myself in sales, just to try to make some extra money. Uh, now, I enjoyed sales right from the start, but I wasn't—I I knew nothing about sales. I hadn't had no formal training, so I floundered. For the first few months kind of wondering why this was so hard for me because it didn't look very hard and yet i was totally unsuccessful for the first few months <laughs> um and uh, the you know the training at the company where i started was negligible at best <laughs> meaning it was non-existent <laughs> i didn't even know there was something like sales training so i um one day i was in a bookstore and this is now of course about 40 years or so ago uh, ago and there were, there were a couple of books in there. One was by Zig Ziglar and the other was by Tom Hopkins. And I bought those books bu- and I was amazed when I saw they were, they were actually books on how to sell. I totally had no idea that such a thing existed. Uh, uh, how to sell? There There's something to this other than just knocking on doors, making calls, telling people about your product or service and asking them to buy. I didn't know. And so I studied their works and and I mean, I just immersed myself in it. It was fascinating, totally fascinating to me. And uh, within a few weeks, my sales began to really, really jump. Uh, and I, I realized it was a matter of of having a system to follow. Um, to this day, I I personally define a system as simply the process of predictably achieving a goal based on a logical and specific set of how to. Principles, the key being predictability. In other words, if it's been proven that by doing A, you'll get the desired result of B, then you know that all you need to do is A and continue to do A and continue to do A, and eventually you're going to get the desired results of B. Uh, I, I thought this was wonderful. And so I started studying everything I could on sales. But what I learned very quickly is that the study of sales wasn't just about the how-to aspect of sales. It was about building yourself. It was about putting good information into your mind. It was about growing on the inside and, and then that growth manifesting in success on the outside. So I started getting all the books that were suggested to me, How to Win Friends and Influence People, Think and Grow Rich, As a Man Thinketh, Psycho Cybernetics, The Magic of Thinking Big. And I mean, I just began studying and learning and absolutely loving everything about personal development and and uh, so, so, uh, I worked my way up to sales manager of another company and eventually people started, you know, asking me to share with that, their company, what was working for mine. And, and again, there was a, a, a big jump ahead to this, but I, I eventually, um, uh, figured, you know, I could make a living doing this. And it was something I really loved doing. And again, I, I did want to be in business for myself. I just, I really didn't like working. Others. Now, of course, when you're in business for yourself, you are working for others. You, your customers are your boss. They can hire you and fire you at any time. But there's still nothing like having that kind of autonomy to decide how you are going to to do business and how you're going to be business. And uh, so, yeah, I, I took to that and never looked back
0: for sure so it's almost came naturally with your progression of skills over time opposed to something you went out and set out knowing that you were going to do yeah i would say that's very accurate cool and it's almost the nicest transition of doing it i suppose because you're not necessarily risking as much as you would be putting a hundred thousand dollars on the table and going right if this doesn't work poof, money gone right exactly for sure so Today's main topic of conversation is on how to succeed in one's business by implementing the five laws from the go-giver. And that's obviously a book that you're extremely famous for writing. But before we dive into the specific content, if you could just tell us a little bit of background and inspiration towards writing the book um, and amongst all the other books you've written in general... Because it's not every day someone writes a book and it sells over nine hundred and twenty-five thousand copies. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, it, the the inspiration
1: for it began with uh, my first book, which was called "Endless Referrals: Network Your Everyday Contacts into Sales." That came out in the mid '90s, and it was a how-to book on how to how people in business, how sales professionals, entrepreneurs could uh, create value in the marketplace and and develop relationships which led to people um, doing business with them directly and referring them to others. It was based on the premise that all things being equal people will do business with and refer business to those people they know like and trust and it was a a successful book it's in its third uh, revised edition the last one came out in 2005 I think and uh, you know, that one sold about 300,000 copies. So it's done well. Um, but I had always, uh, you know, since that first book came out and actually before that I had read parables, you know, endless referrals was a how, how to book. Um, I had read parables and always enjoyed them, whether it was, um, uh, Ogmandino's greatest salesman in the world or the richest man in Babylon by class in, or, uh, you know, the wealthy barber by Chilton, or you had in the late seventies, early eighties, I think the uh, one-minute series by Doctors Blanchard and Johnson, and many, many people, Chris Widener and John Gordon, and lots of people have written fantastic parables that you know you could read in an hour or two hours and really take the basic idea from it and 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 be able to apply it. I thought, wouldn't it be great if we could take the basic premise of endless referrals about the no like and trust? and turn that into a a parable and so to come up with a title i just asked myself what is the the main attribute uh the main essence of a person who is able to to both quickly and even more importantly sustainably create and cultivate those know like and trust relationships with people and i thought well the biggest thing they do is they're always giving and when we say giving in this case, we mean giving value to others. And so we came up with the title "The Go Giver." And um, but really, the the best thing that I did when it came to that book was to ask John David Mann, who uh, was the editor-in-chief of a magazine I used to write for in a very specific niche market. uh, I asked him to be the lead writer and storyteller because I'm a how-to author. You know, I'm how-to, step one, step two, step three. John is a brilliant storyteller. And so I asked John and fortunately he agreed. And um, so we collaborated on The the Go-Giver. And the, you know, the basic premise of the go-giver, which again is a parable that you can read in an hour and a half, two hours, what have you. The the basic premise is simply that shifting your focus, uh, and that's the the key, shifting your focus from getting to giving. And when we say giving in this context, we simply mean constantly and consistently providing immense value to others. And understanding that doing this is not only a, a pleasant way of conducting business, it's actually the most financially profitable way as well
0: for sure so with regards to value then i think we should dive into this a little bit more because how does one provide value to somebody without suffering from the amount of money they receive in return because it's said especially in service based businesses work for free work for free especially when you're starting your company initially to gain those first clients but Obviously, there's people out there that have bills to pay, families to feed, so they can't work for free as such. So how do you find this balance between providing value and the amount of money you receive in return for providing these services?
1: Well, um, doing work for people for free is not part of being a go-giver. Being a go-giver means you're, you're giving more in value or use value. Than what you're receiving in payment. But that's different from not making money. And here's what I mean. Let's say, let's first understand the difference between price and value. Uh, Price is a dollar figure, right? It's a dollar amount. It's finite, it is what it is, right? Value, on the other hand, is the relative worth or desirability of a thing, of something to the end user or beholder. In other words, what is it about this thing, this? product, service, concept, idea that brings so much worth or value to another human being that they will willingly uh, exchange their money for it and be ecstatic that they did while you make a very, very healthy profit. Um, let me give you an example. Let's say there's an accountant who you hire to do your taxes. Uh, you, He charges you 1000 I was going to say dollars, but of course you're, you're in the United Kingdom. So, uh, gosh, is it pounds or euros that you guys are doing now? (laughs) That's what I thought. And I'm glad to know that. Um, and so let's say he charges you a thousand pounds to do your taxes. That's his fee or his price, but what value does he give you in exchange? Well, he, he saves you 5,000 pounds in taxes. He saves you countless hours. Uh, that free you up to do what you'd rather be doing or can do more productively. He also provides you and your family with the security and the peace of mind of knowing what was done correctly. So again, first we see that price is finite, but value can be both concrete in terms of that 5,000 pound savings, but it can also be conceptual in terms of that peace of mind and, and security, which is really priceless, right? You know, that's so important. So what he did is he gave you well over, five thousand pounds in value in exchange for a thousand dollar excuse me thousand <laughs> pound price okay so he gave you more in value than he took in payment so you feel great about it but he still made a very hefty profit because that thousand pounds is well worth it to him to exchange his time and expertise for it in order to to provide that service so in any market-based exchange, meaning both parties willingly agree, you know, to to the exchange, um, there should always be at least two profits, the buyer profits and the seller profits, because each of them come away better off afterwards than they were before. So in terms of being a go-giver, we never want to confuse being a go-giver with not making a, a profit. Now, is there ever a time to give something away for free? Sure, it's part of a strategy, but that's not being a go giver, nor is it not being a go giver. It just is not what we're we're talking about. But when you have a, a free video or special report or some kind of information that doesn't cost you money other than you know an investment in putting that together, but will uh, attract that person to wanting to know more about you give them more confidence and getting to know who you are and your level of competency and how you work with them and start to develop and build that know, like and trust. Well, that's a fine. That's, that's a good reason, but, but there's no reason to ever think that being a go giver is about losing money. (laughs) It's not (laughs) go givers tend to make a lot of money because remember they're focused on the value they're providing, not the price. So how do you make sure people don't take advantage of you then? uh the same way you would make sure people don't take advantage of you no matter what you're doing don't put yourself in a position where people can take advantage of you For sure. I mean you know I mean uh, not you know in life it's going to happen sometimes to all of us you know uh, the only way you can never be taken advantage of is to never trust anyone anytime anywhere but you you also will never profit either because yeah, there's always a certain amount of, you know, every so often you, you deal with a, a bad person, but no, uh, that's by and large here, here's the thing. If you are finding yourself in a constant pattern of being taken advantage of, it's not because you're a good person. It's not because you're a nice person. It's certainly not because you're a go giver. It's because you're doing things in a certain way that, create the circumstances for you to be taken advantage of. Okay. So you can always do business the right way uh, without fear of being taken advantage of, because if you believe you're dealing with someone who, uh, you know, is, is what we would call a go taker, right? Someone who's looking (laughs) to take advantage of you. Well, note the signs. And uh, if you have to do business with that person, make sure you're not putting yourself in a position where, they can, you know, make sure you get your payment up front or make sure, you know, you do those things you need to do that protects you. So there's, again, there's nothing about being a go-giver that, that should be confused with being a doormat or a martyr or self-sacrificial. It simply means that you recognize that the way to thrive in the marketplace is by creating value for others. That's the only reason why anyone's going to do business with you. You know, they're not going to buy from you because you have a quota to meet or because you need the money. They're going to do business with you because they believe they'll be better off by doing so than by not doing so. That's the only reason why they should buy from you or from me or from anyone else. It's up to us to communicate that value. Awesome. So what are the remaining laws? Well, the second one is the law of compensation, because the first one is the law of value. Uh, The second one is the law of compensation. And this one says that you're... Your income is determined by how many people you serve and how well you serve them. So uh, where law number one says to give more in value than you take in payment, law number two tells us that the more people whose lives you touch with the exceptional value you provide, the more money with which you'll be rewarded. We go back to your accountant in the previous example. He did a great job, right, of giving you so much more in value Uh, than what you paid while still making a very healthy profit, that if you're his, his client, you feel great about him. You would do business with him again, and he'd probably refer and recommend him to others. Well, his other clients feel the same way. So our accountant is very quickly amassing what we call an army of personal walking ambassadors. And as he continues to add that kind of exceptional value to the lives of more and more people, his income will continue to grow and grow. In the story, in the parable, Nicole Martin, the, uh, one of the mentors in the story, the CEO, she tells Joe, the protege, that law number one, the law of value, that represents your potential income. But the law of compensation, which is all about how many lives you impact with that value, that equals your actual compensation. Now, law number three is the law of influence, and this says your influence is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first. Now, you know this sounds counterintuitive, but you, when you think about it, the greatest leaders, top producers, this is how they run their lives and conduct their businesses. They're always looking for ways to make other people's lives better. In other words, their focus is on bringing value to others. Um, Again, this this does not mean you're a doormat, a martyr, uh, nothing like that. But it does mean that you understand, and this is what Joe, the protege, learned in the story, that again, Right, the golden rule of business is that all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to, those people they know, like, and trust, and that there's no faster, more powerful, or more effective way to elicit these feelings toward you from others than by genuinely and authentically moving from what we call an I-focus or me-focus to what we call an other-focus. Looking for ways to, as Sam, one of the mentors advised Joe, looking for ways to make your win all about the other person's win. Law number four is the law of authenticity, and this simply says the most valuable gift you have to offer is yourself. Uh, one of the other mentors in the story, Deborah, in this chapter shares an experience that she had where she learned that all the skills in the world, the sales skills, technical skills, people skills, as important as they are, and they are indeed very, very important, they're also all for naught if you don't come at it from your true authentic core because people will find out about you and that trust will be broken. However, when you do, as we like to say, show up as yourself day after day, week after week, month after month, people feel good about you. People feel safe with you. They feel comfortable with you. They begin to know you, like you, love you, trust you. Uh, they want to do business with you. They want to be a part of your life. They're much more likely to refer and introduce you to others. So it's very important to understand that showing up as yourself is a great way to do business. What we need to do, though, is is recognize our strengths and be able to lead through with our authentic strengths and to never confuse authenticity with not growing, with with not learning. You know, it's like the person who says, well, I have anger issues and I yell at people a lot. And if I were to act any other way, that wouldn't be authentic of me. And of course, that's baloney, uh, as we'd say in the States, that's malarkey, that's wrong. It, It simply means that person has an authentic problem that he needs to authentically work on in order to Um, raise himself to a higher authentic level. So we never want to use authenticity as an excuse to stay where we are, but let's instead use it as motivation to tap into our highest, highest form of ourselves. And then there's law number five, the law of receptivity. And this one simply says the key to effective giving is to stay open To receiving and this is sort of we can make the comparison to breathing out and breathing in you can't do one or the other we breathe out carbon dioxide but we also have to breathe in oxygen (laughs) we breathe out which is giving we breathe in which is receiving despite the messages we get from the world around us when it comes to money and prosperity and the messages we get from the world around us are very very negative you know, despite these messages, it's so important to understand that giving and receiving are not opposite concepts. They're simply two sides of the very same coin and they work in tandem. So we, we give and we receive. It's not a matter of, are you a giver or a receiver? No, you're a giver and a receiver. But what you know is that the the way life works, the way the laws of nature work, the the way the laws of human nature work, we must focus on the giving. You focus on the giving of value to others. When you do this, you create the context for receiving. But then you've got to be willing to receive in like measure. Uh, But it begins with the giving. And that's why we say that money is simply an echo of value. Money is just an echo of value. It's the thunder to values lightning, which means nothing more than that the focus must be on the giving. Uh, You know, that's where the focus is on giving value to, to others. Uh, Eventually, of course, your customer or client, the money you receive is simply a very natural result of the value you've provided. And that's, that's the five laws in a nutshell.
0: And they are all brilliant. I must say. So thank you. I, With regards to that, money is the echo of value. Do you think that's where a lot of entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, startup entrepreneurs go wrong? Because they go into it thinking, okay, yeah, fine, but will it make me money? Before thinking, okay, provide the value, money will be the echo of that. Mm -hmm. So do you think that it's a mistake going into this thinking, okay, fine, but will it earn me money do you think that's a lot of mistakes do you think that's a mistake a lot of people make it's it's not a
1: mistake to ask
0: the question will it make money it's a mistake to make that the first question
1: and in the story pindar the main mentor and joe have a conversation And, and Joe's talking about a business idea and all about the the money and the money and the money And, and Pindar kind of slows him down a little bit and says, that's not the place to focus. And Joe says, so are you saying asking if something will make money is a bad question? And Pindar says, no, asking if something will make money is a great question. It's just a bad first question. First ask, does it serve? Will it serve? And and he meant that two ways. One is to make sure you're putting something out there into the world that's going to have a positive effect. But the other is make sure there's a market for it. Make sure it's something people want. Make sure it's something people need. Make sure it's some, something people will buy for a couple of reasons. See if you focus on the money, okay, again it goes back to they're not going to buy your product or service because you want them to. It's going to have to be because of the they decide to okay so first is there a market for it now if there's a market for it now ask will it make money will it be profitable because there could be a great market for it and everyone could could totally want it but if it's not going to be profitable well now you've just got an expensive hobby on your hands and while hobbies are a nice thing, it, that's it's not the same as a as a business that's profitable. And that's also very important. So again, it's not that money isn't important. Money is a very important aspect of life. It's a very important aspect of business. It just can't be the first question.
0: Definitely. So there we have it. How to succeed via implementing the five laws from the Go-Giver, the book. So that's the main thing I wanted to talk to you about in today's episode. But the way I round off all of my episodes is by asking three questions on three topics that I don't think are spoken about enough. So these are in the terms of obviously a little bit of self-development for me because I love hearing answers, but I think it's good for other people to see various entrepreneurs and successful individuals perspectives on these questions I ask. So these topics are money, relationship and death. So, The first question with relation to money, I don't personally think it directly relates to money, but a lot of entrepreneurs out there, and I think especially when we ask this question, so the question is, what does the word success mean to you? But I'm going to give a little bit of background because the way I relate that to money is because when we ask in a day-to-day successful, uh, a day-to-day question was, oh, how successful are they? We tend to instantly relate that to money. Oh, how much money do they earn? That's our factor of how we define success but what I like to ask is what does success mean to you
1: yeah well first of all success can be measured in many areas there's financial there's also physical spiritual mental emotional social relational so you know success is is you know it's it's contextual in nature as well I mean if you want if if you had a goal to lose uh 20 pounds in uh, well no you don't you get twenty pounds.
0: Yeah, we we, we can we can what? we'll just go with any metric. Let's not confuse <laughs> okay. ourselves. Right, right.
1: In uh, you know, in in five months, and you do it. Well, you were successful in terms of your weight loss goal. If you if you instead of losing twenty pounds, you lost nineteen pounds, then you were ninety five percent successful. Uh, let's say you're playing a, a football game, and when I say football, I mean European football. In this case, not the football that you have in the back. But which is American football, but the uh, what we would call soccer, what you'd call football, and you you uh beat the other team uh two to one. Okay, you were successful in that game, the other team was not successful in terms of the win, but what if they played well above what they usually do? Well, they were successful in terms of an improvement, even if they weren't successful in the win. So, again, those are just a couple of ways, but but let's for this question look at success uh a little bit. A little bit deeper, and I would say that success is a genuine and ongoing feeling of happiness based on having done one's best in living up to their potential. Okay, so if you're to the degree that one lives up to their potential in whatever area they're they're talking about, that's the
0: degree that they're successful. So would you consider yourself successful? Are you pleased with what you've accomplished?
1: In some areas, but I also think there's a lot of potential that I had that I probably have not reached where I should be by now at 61 years old. So in, that, in those areas, I would not consider myself successful.
0: If you don't mind, give us an example.
1: Mm, I think I could have done more with, uh, you know, with my books in terms of the number of lives I could have touched with that. That I could have played on a bigger, bigger field, uh, had I done certain things differently. Um, but yeah, so that would be that would be one area. As much as what I've done would probably be considered successful, you know, uh, by a lot of people, I think I could have uh, done much more with it by this point.
0: For sure, and obviously, thank you for saying that. A lot of people don't like to share things that they don't think they've done well enough at Um, so the next question with regards to relationships so this is a little bit of a, a selfish question for me because throughout my journey i don't want to suffer in that sort of area of relationships so throughout your journey so far have you found it difficult to maintain relationships whether that be with family loved ones significant other Friends, or have you found ways to bring people along your journey with you?
1: Uh, I've always been very fortunate that I've had a very supportive family that I grew up in, and that uh, uh, um, women who I've dated were always, you know, to me very high quality, and were always very supportive and very, you know, always rooting me on. And I did the same for them, and uh, and have always had good friends. Uh, yeah, I, I've never, I've never had that. Situation that I know a lot of people have had where they yeah. didn't have that kind of, but no I, I was always very lucky in that way
0: well so, so do you think it depends how, as an entrepreneur, you balance your time between actually spending time with these people, because you hear time and time again that on, people say entrepreneurship is is a lonely journey, but obviously you've not found it this way as such
1: no uh, yeah I, I haven't found it to be that way um Uh, I'm not sure why it needs to be that way. I mean, the entrepreneurs I know tend to have really good relationships. And, uh, you know, we we work hard as entrepreneurs and we probably work longer than most people do, especially at the beginning. But a lot of times, you know, you love what you do. So you're continuing to do it and you hope to have people in your life who are part of that. Uh, But, you know, I'd say it's an individual, it's an individual thing.
0: For sure. And obviously, thank you. And congratulations on that for yourself because you're clearly doing something right and being able to maintain these relationships throughout your life. So final question, and it's a bit of a morbid way to end the episode. So I do apologize, but I get some really interesting answers. So the question is, are you afraid of dying?
1: Am I afraid of dying? No, I'm not afraid of dying, but I do have a, you know that that fear of missing out you know, that if yeah. I was to die tomorrow, I think the thing that would bother me the most is kind of not knowing what's going to happen, you know, and, you know, all the different changes in the world and the different things. And I mean, uh, you know, unless you're able to, unless we, when we die, we go to a higher plane and we can look down on everything and see what's happening. But um, assuming that's not the case and, and we're no longer involved in the earthly, you know, uh, I kind of feel like, well, I really I'd love to know what's going to happen next. <laughs> you know, but in terms of just of having a fear of dying, no, I, I don't.
0: Who knows with Trump as well? God knows what's going to happen in America. Who knows what? Who knows what's going to happen with Trump in America? Who who yeah. God, no one knows It's going to happen with anyone, you know. It's, uh yeah. you know, I just uh so
1: I I really just uh yeah, you know, the, the fact is we we don't know, but I would love to you know, stick around for a while. I'm still just 61. So I figure I get a few years left, but you never know what's going tomorrow either.
0: No. And obviously you can't look out on that either. You've got to just live the day. You've got to live, the, live in the moment, they say.
1: <laughs> That's right. So
0: that is all I have for you today, Bob. And thank you for answering all my questions. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Well, thank now's you. the time for you to just plug where my listeners can follow up with you, where they can find your book, where they can find you on social go ahead
1: uh, they could they could go to either Berg, burg.com or thegogiver.com whichever's easiest one's more of a speaking site the other's more the book site mm-hmm. uh, and and just hang around and see if there's some good resources there that you enjoy
0: for sure and i will leave those in the show notes below so if you're listening don't worry about forgetting those just simply look below and click mm-hmm. But once again, Bob, thank you for joining me on this episode of CEO Journals. So that's going to wrap up today's episode of the podcast, and I can't thank you all enough for listening. I aim to interview some of the most incredible business owners and entrepreneurs every single week so you can really help me out by smashing that subscribe button and by leaving me a five-star review over in the iTunes store. It literally takes two seconds and will help me secure some of the greatest names in business as guests on the show. Make sure you tune into the next episode where I'm going to be talking to another incredibly interesting guest. I'll be discussing their journey and providing tips to all your aspiring and current business owners. Have a lovely rest of your day and once again, thank you for tuning in to CEO Journals.